Welcome to the fifth episode in our podcast series about positive intelligence. We are Charlie Jett and Debbie McCullough, two certified positive intelligence coaches and partners whose clients include individuals and businesses. Now, this is a continuation of our podcast series about po positive intelligence and mental fitness. Last week, we talked about the SAGE perspective. As you remember, the SAGE perspective is all about accepting what is rather than denying, rejecting, or resenting what is. The SAGE perspective accepts that every outcome and circumstance is a gift and an opportunity. The saboteur perspective, especially the judge, is the opposite of that. It's that many outcomes and circumstances are bad and therefore legitimate reasons to feel distressed. Now, the next nine episodes will focus individually on each of the saboteurs. But today we'll start with the judge. Now, the judge is the master saboteur, the one everyone suffers from. It compels you to constantly find faults with yourself others and your conditions and circumstances. Uh, the judge resides in your left brain and has a loud voice that generally drowns out your wiser self. So let's just get started with some examples. So Debbie, you're a communications coach. Give us some examples of how the judge rears its ugly head for people who are struggling with communications. Yeah, it's a really interesting prompt there Charlie I would say well I think maybe I'll start by just reflecting on how the judge rears its ugly head when I communicate my judge gets very very active in front of high stakes audiences particularly those who I feel have some control over my destiny and when I go to present ideas oral presentation of ideas to these audiences I start to feel all kinds of fear, fear of failure, fear of disappointing my audience, fear of not providing value, fear of not having the right stuff to share with them. And then it can get a little uglier too, sometimes depending, depending on the situation and the circumstance and the context of the presentation, my judge can really go to town and convince me in this moment that I'm unworthy, that I may fall back and fall into poverty, for instance, or whatever it is. But I start to almost feel so fearful and so convinced of the compelling lies that my judge lies, lays out in front of me that I focus only on that. And with that, I remove my ability to stay focused, calm. I lose my ability to be an effective communicator. I lose my ability to even be audience-centered because I'm so consumed with these fears that I can't be present with my audience. And as someone who coaches others to communicate, that's really the opposite of executive presence. To me, executive presence is about being present with your audience and staying audience-centered. So that's one, one way in which the judge can rear its ugly head for people struggling with communications. Charlie, you're a career coach. How does the judge help get in the way of people who are facing career issues? Well, Debbie, I can uh, speak for myself and give you an example because 
generally the most the most uh, important or the most common issue is that you just feel that I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. so I won't apply for the job. You know, for example, I I uh, came from a very small town in the Western Dakotas and always have this judge whispering in my ear and sometimes even yelling that, oh, you came from a small town, you came from a little area in the Dakotas, why would anybody in the big city listen to you? You know, and that judge keeps yelling at me when I, whenever I face something like that, even though I have very powerful uh, educational degrees, Naval Academy and the Harvard Business School, but I still have that judge yelling in my ear. And another, another way the judge rears its ugly head in careers is people often get discouraged in their job uh, and they, it prevents them sometimes from trying their hardest or thinking that they can do it. So I see this kind of, uh, kind of thing, uh, the judge uh, effect very, very often in the career. Now, Debbie, when, you, uh, when do you notice that your judge is getting loud? When is the judge turning up the volume? Yeah, it's interesting, Charlie. I would say I notice that the judge is getting loud when in a communications context, I start to second guess myself. For instance, a written message, perhaps I'm writing an informative message or a persuasive message. Something that would normally take me 15 minutes is suddenly taking an hour because I'm second guessing my language choice, my choice of the bottom line, my choice of the angle. In oral communication, I notice that judge getting loud when I have a physical flight and fight response, flight or fight response to being in front of this audience. For instance, I might insert verbal filler, words like um, ah, so, but. I might feel my heart beating. Uh, Early on in my career as a professor, I remember very vividly standing in front of Chatham College's feature writing class, standing in front of them, uh, just a group of sweet 10 master and fine art writing students, 10 young people. But I noticed holding my syllabus and my hands were shaking so visibly the papers were rattling. (laughs) So that's how I knew. Now I know about the judge. Now I know about uh, the power of our inner judge. Back then, I just thought it was typical stage fright. Yes, it's that. But I think the judge shows up and gets really loud. And the noticing comes from my physical response to it. And then the inner chatter that's going on at the same time. What do you know? When do you notice that the judge is getting loud for you, Charlie? Well, I notice it whenever I'm faced with a, with a challenge of some kind mm-hmm. that, uh, oh, you're not good enough to do this. Oh, you're not good enough to do this. And so I have to do all sorts of things, which we'll get into a little bit later, uh, to try to silence that judge or at least turn the volume down so I can listen to my, my wiser self or the get, get into the sage perspective that we talked about last time. So, uh, you know, when you listen to the judge, Debbie, and take the judge's advice, what do you think that costs you anyway? Yeah, I, you know, the cost is, is, is potentially huge. To date, I, I think how, how the judge has cost me in the past, I think actually ties to something you might see as a career coach, Charlie. I think in the past, the cost of listening to my judge too much was staying in a role that did not bring me joy. 
or accepting bullying treatment from someone who was managing me and accepting a, a low pay for something I knew required a lot of top skills. So the cost was not having the courage to create the vital change to be reach my full potential. Uh, as a communicator, the cost is staying small mm -hmm. when you could really be big. Yeah. It's, it's trying to blend in and feeling, of course, every culture is different, but in American business culture, at least, it's especially in vogue now versus before to show vulnerability, to show a little openness and to share a little bit. I think the cost of listening and in service of the audience, you know, just a little, but in service of the audience, that is a very in vogue way to communicate right now and to lead and in vogue way to communicate as a leader, especially through COVID-19, because there's this desire for this empathetic style of leadership that becomes more relatable. So the cost of listening to your judge when you're trying to grow your business through strategic storytelling, for instance, or thought leadership pieces and the podcast like we're doing today or written pieces is staying small and not feeling comfortable enough. Listening to the judge's voice so much, you don't share your expertise. You don't take a chance to go out on a limb and do things differently. And that, that means you stay small and under the radar versus putting yourself on the radar of your prospective clients or those you want to grow and learn with. What about you, Charlie? What's the cost? Well, I, can, I can certainly uh, agree with you and what you just said. When the, what the judge costs me uh, whenever I listen to the judge is primarily missed opportunities. You know, mm -hmm. that the opportunity comes and it goes and just because I've said, oh, you're not good enough to do it. Or if you are on a job, you don't think you're up to the task of, uh, of doing something. So you don't perform well. And ultimately, it causes you great happiness. And you know, one, one, uh, one awful area that uh, the judge has an effect on people in careers particularly is they, they become dishonest when they fill out a resume and put down their educational qualifications or their experience. Sometimes these are just quite frankly lies. Yeah. Uh, in the executive search business, when I was in that world for a while, we found, uh, and it was true across the board almost, that almost 25% or a third of resumes or claimed qualifications that you'd see from candidates were just not plain true. So yeah. that's why in that business, you do very extensive re reference checks and checks on degrees and that sort of thing. Uh, and a good way to kind of get around that up front so you don't disqualify a candidate uh, right away is just to ask them, are there any hidden skeletons in your closet? Or when I read your, your qualifications, am I correct in believing that everything on, on there is true? And that kind of will set them straight and they'll resubmit something if, uh, if that happens. But if you find out they've been lying or been uh, putting on false information on a resume or, or credentials, they just are out of luck. You just reject them immediately. 
So you, you a little bit earlier, you said your heart was beating and that sort of stuff when you feel the judge. Where, what, what other things do you feel, Debbie, when you when the presence of the judge uh, uh, comes about on when you're facing some kind of challenge? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, if you don't mind, and I'll keep mine focused on the from a communication lens because it's really helpful for me to just ponder how does the judge uh, show up in our bodies when we're communicating. I would say. I think one of the, the key things that shows our judge is present, at least for me, is that my facial expressions are no longer neutral or welcoming. They're, you know, a furrowed brow comes to mind, just sort of a deer in the headlight kind of expression looking into the camera or in front of the room. Uh, and I have ways to walk around, to, to work around that, but that's often the response. The hand, the shaking of the hands is a chronic problem for me. And I learned from a dear mentor and friend, Dr. Heidi Schultz, if you're, if the fear in you, she said to me so beautifully without any knowledge of the judge or anything, because I hadn't started training as a coach at that point. But when I confided this drastically embarrassing response to fear, she said, if your fear manifests itself in your body, through your hands, then don't hold your syllabus. <laughs> very simple, but very true. And I also noticed the more uh, I felt this pounding heart response, because I had a, and have overcome or still manage a pretty chronic fear of public speaking. It's called glossophobia and it impacts 73% of working professionals globally. And I noticed the way around it was just to walk, to actually get moving. And in our environment online, standing makes a big difference versus sitting. But those are the main ways that come to me. I, I think stuttering could be an extreme response or an extreme hint that the judge is present. And another piece would be language choice, even, believe it or not, I think and believe that the judge, when it shows up, changes even the language choice we use, if that counts as a body response, it does to me. When our judge takes over our, our heart and our minds and convinces us that whatever we share is, is going to impact our future and our job security or whatever it is that we're fearing from this presentation, I think we start using an accessible, overly formal, verbose, and accessible language because we trick the judge tricks us you have to sound more clever than that don't use plain accessible conversational relatable language you've got to use those fancy buzzwords and that is just a terrible response but it happens i see it a lot and how about you how does the judge show up in your body well whenever the judge sh uh, shows up and i'm facing some sort of challenge and the judge is really speaking loud uh, what happens to me is I become quiet mm -hmm. and I find myself uh, having difficulty thinking of something to say or how to, how to, how to approach it. And, you know, you talk, you're in the world of communications. That's the most important critical skill you can have, because if you can't get ideas out of your head in a clear way, you can't get them into someone else's head, which is the objective all along. So, it, you know, I, I, I suppose it affects my communications as well, because uh, I just become quiet and have little to say and often get lost in the rush. So, you know, what, do you, what helps you, uh, Debbie, when the judge shows up and is doing these things to you, what helps you the most to manage the judge? Yeah, it's really 
powerful question, Charlie, because there really isn't any one go-to uh, strategy when the judge consumers. But uh, well, I, I'll take that back. The one go-to that really helps me is the awareness piece. And to become aware of your saboteurs is really the end goal for me when it comes to building mental fitness. I don't want to change myself or my responses too much. I do want to acknowledge when saboteurs have induced me to feel the way I do. Because once I'm aware, I just know, oh, I'm feeling triggered in this moment. My judge showed up. And then that is like feeling the hand on the hot stove, just that awareness piece. Oh, I know what this is. I felt this before my judge showed up. And that has been the best tool for me. And then on top of that, I would say using, is it the navigate power to preempt that when I might be triggered. So mm -hmm. looking ahead at events on my schedule or knowing even that ad hoc situations where I'm asked to share my ideas ad hoc are a trigger for me, go into those situations grounded. Because if I can be preemptive and look at what's ahead of me or just know intuitively and, and with wisdom and full blameless discernment and full acceptance of who I am, oh, ad hoc situations become triggering. Or speaking with people who haven't traveled before, for instance, often I feel misunderstood as a foreigner in America. How could I possibly have left New Zealand? And a certain response will trigger me and my judge, like, how could you leave New Zealand, for instance? Those kind of questions trigger me and my responses are awful. But now I know that. So I think looking ahead and knowing yourself and accepting yourself and then going into those moments grounded has been hugely helpful. The other piece that really helps me, Charlie, is the empathy power. And I'm holding up a picture to our screen now of me as a little girl. I'm at a beach with my mother in 1972. And I'm two years old in that picture. And going into a, a situation that I know will trigger my judge and impact how I communicate by reflecting on my childhood essence and using that empathy power to just talk to myself a little bit and acknowledge those essential qualities that were in me as a girl and remain with me today can build empathy, self-empathy, but also transferring the empathy power to my audience has been very helpful. So remembering my audience has a very busy day. They're here to learn something that I have input on. And empathizing with them helps manage that judgmental response to misinterpret their responses. And to misinterpret, for instance, a grimacing face as me being an ineffective communicator and knowing maybe they just ate something that didn't agree with them or perhaps they're, they're contemplating something sad in that moment that has nothing to do with me. So it helps me not overly read the cues of my audience in ways that derail me. So that's a very long-winded response. I apologize. What about you? Well, I have the uh, basically the same thing. I, I find that uh, empathy is the most powerful way to mm. deal with this. And like you, I have a picture of myself uh, as a, about a between about two years old, sitting on the sitting on the ground up at our ranch in North Dakota, with about four or five little bum lambs, 
that are oh. coming over that they're reaching, you know, they're, they're depending on me to give them their bottle of milk and that sort of stuff. And so, and you know, at least, at least these little bum lambs think I'm okay. And then also whenever I, one of another thing I do is I name it. I, I give my judge a name, Mr. Grimm. And uh, whenever I kind of uh, hear, uh, feel that the judge is coming to play why well, I'll say, here comes Mr. Grimm. And, uh, and, and then I, then that triggers, a response that I can start thinking better of myself. Also, in, in terms of communications, whenever I'm talking to an audience and that sort of stuff, I always think back and, and, and believe with all my heart that the audience wants you to succeed. Yes. That they're on your side and they're not looking for your mistakes. They want you to, to succeed and that sort of thing. Well, those are a couple of powerful techniques both of us use. What are some of the other ones, uh, Debbie, that uh, you found that can neutralize or at least quiet the interference of the judge? Hmm, try to think there. I think my other strategies are more preemptive ones. For instance, you know, trying to take some breaks leading up to a high stakes communication. Um, I've noticed you know, really, really being using the curious anthropologist explorer power to notice patterns. And I bring this into my coaching with coaches who are struggling with communication challenges that get in their way of happiness and productivity and success. Um, you know, I encourage them to be a curious anthropologist, like an explorer of their situation. And, and the first piece of homework that we kind of co-create and they, they sign off on and agree could be very useful. It's just with blameless discernment, start to notice when the judge shows up and what situations and get very curious there because the clues can really help build the strategy and help you um, understand a little bit more about what's going on, unpack that a little bit more, but then also build the strategy. So I think that, and then the other piece would just be, you know, rest is a, is a wonderful thing and for managing any saboteur. Rest and time away from our work can give us vital perspective and help us silence and manage those saboteurs a bit more effectively when we're go, 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 go. So, uh, you know, an ideal schedule for me, I've not yet mastered it, but I work towards it every day is to try to carve out at the top of each hour, five minutes of just contemplation. Yep. And that could just be looking out the window for a little bit at the trees or getting outside for five minutes with the trees or painting for five minutes. So those are my techniques. What about you, Charlie? Well, I, I share what you what you said, and, and another thing that I, that I do and I've learned how to do through positive intelligence are what they call PQ reps, mm -hmm. which we will discuss in further episodes. We won't discuss those today, but it's a way to to remember, to embody, to uh, do something that take that makes your mind shift from your left brain to your right. Uh, and the other thing that I did, and I won't I won't give you the whole poem. But I used I learned this at the Naval Academy, and it's a, a little poem. It's a, uh, a poem that makes you, uh, it's called All in the State of Mind. And uh, just a couple of verses of it is, uh, you know, if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win and don't think you can, it's almost a cinch you won't. And or full many a race is lost, ere even a step is run, and many a coward fails, ere even the work is begun. And it's a positive mental attitude that you uh, you can do. Those were my triggers to try to silence the judge. 
I love that, Charlie. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have that written and near you or did you learn it verbatim? Oh, I've, I had to memorize it uh, when I was at the Naval Academy, but I've used it every day since then. It's beautiful. I remember in your interview on my po podcast, you um, your sage is your naval leaders. Yep. That's sort of an embodiment of several of them. Well, we'll get into more of these things and, uh, and other saboteurs down the line. And so in summary, this has been a little bit closer ex examination of the judge. Remember, it's the saboteur that we all have. So we look forward to in subsequent episodes and telling you, uh, taking you on a deep dive into the positive intelligence system. And remember that PQ can help you and can help your business grow and toward greater product productivity and happiness. And again, you can contact us as follows. You can contact Debbie at hangingrockcoaching.com, hangingrockmedia at, sorry, hangingrockcoaching.com is my website. Hangingrockmedia at gmail.com is my email. And you can look me up on LinkedIn under D.G. McCullough. And you can contact me, Charlie Jett, with charliejettcoaching.com, or you can always tune in to our website, podcastpq.com. Or you can simply, on that, on that website, go to Contact Us, contact page on pod, podcastpq.com, and send us a message. So I'd like to thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you soon with our next episode, where we will discuss in more depth the first of the next nine accomplice saboteurs, the avoider. So thank you, Debbie. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure partnering with you, Coach Charlie. Okay, bye-bye for now. Bye for now.